I'm really glad you're here. Uh, my name is Nathan Hinkle. I'm the campus pastor here at our Ross Township campus. And thanks for spending a portion of the first Sunday of, of 2020 with us. I'm really, really happy to have you, especially if you're a guest with us. Welcome. I'm very glad to have you here. You came at a fantastic week while we are here today. We are kicking off not only a series that will be in for the next five weeks or so called Made for More, but Made for More is going to be a theme that you're going to hear uh, throughout the year. Okay, This is setting us up for a, for, for, and giving us a basis for conversation and for momentum throughout 2020 and, God willing, beyond. Because whatever, here, here's the thing, whatever you experienced in 2019, okay, whatever it was, now thinking back to a year ago, 2019, is a little difficult for some of us, but not so difficult for others. And it depends on what you did experience, right? For some of you, you got married in 2019, you, you celebrated an anniversary that maybe your first year of marriage happened in 2019, all right? For some of us, maybe, maybe a marriage ended in 2019. Maybe you had your first child in 2019. Maybe you became parents or grandparents for the first time in 2019. And maybe some of you became empty nesters in 2019, and you're just like stepping into what that starts to feel like and, and, and is like in your home. Maybe for some, you got a new job. Probably for a lot of people, you started a new job sometime this past year. Um, others, maybe you lost a job, and this was a really tough year for you. Maybe some of you retired. Maybe some of you stepped into this new realm called retirement. You don't know what that looks like, or if you did, you're not even here right now to hear me say it because you're in like Florida somewhere, right? But maybe you made some new friends. Um, they, you know, I, part of what I love about this job and this ministry is I get to meet a lot of new people every year. Maybe you met some new friends. Maybe you just kind of um, experienced something new and deeper with some friendships that you have or some relationships that you have. Um, maybe you lost some people. Maybe 2019 is kind of, kind of marred a little bit by the memory of some people that you cared about that maybe they moved away, maybe they passed away, and that's a tough thing for you. Some of us made some major decisions in 2019. Major decisions that were really hard for you to make. And others, maybe we just kind of felt like 2019, while I had it up and down, it's kind of status quo for us. Maybe 2019 was just kind of status quo, wasn't a big memorable year for you, all right? Some of you were new to faith in 2019. Like you, you surrendered your life to Jesus last year and you began this whole new faith journey. Maybe a lot of others would say, no, 2019 was just another year in my walk with Jesus, I wouldn't say it, I, I got much, much uh, to know him a lot better. I wouldn't say I like didn't, you know, he and I got further apart. I would just say 2019 was kind of like an eh year spiritually, right? Maybe some of you realized in 2019 that faith was just boring for you. You were, bore, you were bored with your experience and how you've approached faith. Whatever it was that you experienced, good or not so good, there's more out there. In fact, that's something about the human experience that we all know is true. Every single one of us, no matter what you believe about God or Jesus or church or whatever, we all have this internal hope that's part of the human experience that there's more to be had, that there is more than just our past experiences. That's one of the things that keeps us going. It keeps us going the next day, that there is more to this life than the things I've experienced up to this point. And we would all say, yeah, of course there is. That there is more than what we've learned or heard up to this point. There's more to be discovered. 
There's more to hear. There's more to, to submit to than just the things that you know right now. That there's more to our relationships. Like there's actually more and better marriages. There's more and better ways that, for you to connect with your parents or parents to kids or friend to friend or coworker to coworker. Like there's more to the relationships than what you experience right now. There's more, and this is really hard for, for some, you know, Midwest Cincinnati folks here, all right? There's more than just the way we've always done it, all right? There's actually more out there than just being satisfied with the way that we've always done things. God has more for us. In fact, speaking of God, there's more to be discovered in a relationship with him. It's kind of fascinating to think about that there is much, much more to be discovered in your relationship with your heavenly father than what you have experienced right now. No one in this room knows God like he wants you to know him. There's more. In fact, that's our big idea for today. And we're going to start out um, this series, this year, and this, this, this theme that's going to carry us through 2020 with this one, that Jesus is more. Jesus is more. I encourage you to take notes, write some, jot some things down if you're a note taker. Um, you can do that on your program, maybe bring up a note on your phone and do that. Write this one down. Jesus is more. Jesus is more than you think he is. And I don't care if you've been, how long you've been following him. Jesus is more than what you've always envisioned him to be. Jesus is more than what you have made him out to be. And if that's true for us, that Jesus, there's this, there's this more to be discovered in Jesus. If that's true, then it makes 2020 for every person in this room kind of a mind-blowing year because it sets us up for the, our entire landscape of our faith journey to change this year. That's kind of scary, but also pretty exciting. A couple of years ago, uh, my, my, the life group that, that Denise and I are in did a white elephant gift exchange, like often some groups do, or, you know, your work parties, where our life group came together, did a white elephant gift exchange, and, and I kid you not, every time I'm part of a white elephant gift exchange, I walk away with garbage. Does anybody else just feel that way? Like, I mean, garbage. I mean, there's like that person that walks away with like the coffee and the chocolates. You're like, that's, that's nothing white elephant about that. Like, I'll fight you for that in the parking lot. Like, like that's something good. There's the person that walks away with the fun Christmas socks. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of silly. I, I, I'd do that. I walked away last year with a three-inch bobbling dancing Jesus. <laughs> and everybody thought because I was the pastor, that was fitting. And I think I was the most irritated. <laughs> so... <laughs> so, yeah, so that, <laughs> I did bring him, and I didn't bring him out the last service because he's too small, I think, for you to actually care that I'm holding him right now, but, um, but that's him, and, and, and here he is right here, if you can flick Jesus, I don't know how he feels about that, but that's him, okay, and uh, um, what the, the thing that he came with is probably more sacrilegious than me just flicking him to get in the dance is that there's this booklet that has like these 10 different dances that Jesus does. And I didn't bring that because I just thought like lightning would strike this place. But um, email me sometime. I'll take some pictures of it. And you too in your own home can dance as Jesus perhaps did 
one day, all right? This is funny. I enjoy it. I never thought I'd actually bring it up here to you this morning when I got that two years ago and went home really irritated. But here he is. And, and it's fun. And, and the thing about our approach to Jesus, when we say Jesus is more, we're like, eh, what does that really mean? You know, the, the truth is we don't really know, all right? Because we enjoy a Jesus that we can control. Like, for the most part, now when I move, he's bobbling, but I can actually choose to stop him, you know, or flick him harder and get him to do that thing or, or not. We, we enjoy a Jesus that we can understand, one that we can appease. We enjoy a Jesus, or we kind of like uh, follow or worship a Jesus, that we um, can appease with our religious actions. Like we can make him like us more or accept us, or we keep him happy through the things that are, through our religiosity, through the things that we can do. We like a Jesus that if I had that dance book, I would not mimic him, but we like a Jesus that we can mimic and we can kind of say, hey, this is what Jesus would have done when we choose to. And the problem is, well, there's lots of problems with it, but one of the things that you and I face daily when we approach these, I'm going to have to set him down here, like just in moving in my peripheral visions, killing, you're going to be distracted by him too. Okay, I'm here, I'm going to set him back here behind Darren's mic stand where nobody can see him. All right, because that's going to distract me the whole time. All right, now the problem that, that, that what happens when we approach and treat Jesus like that is we experience worship and the majesty of God in a very muted way. And many of us wouldn't know what muted worship looks like really because that's the only thing you've ever known is worship that is muted, it's dull, it's unmoving, and it's not experiential, it's just something that happens around you sometimes. What happens when we treat Jesus in this way, we just mimic him when we want to, we can flick him and get him to do some things, we can do some things in order for him to feel appeased, is that prayer is impersonal. That prayer is impersonal. When you treat Jesus like somebody, when we just go to prayer and say, Jesus, help me on this test. Jesus, heal this, this illness. Jesus, could you do this for me? Could you do this? When, when, when the only time we go to Jesus is to ask him for things, then prayer feels very impersonal. It's a request, which is really good. And that's all that it is. And some of us, have never experienced the intimacy of a deep, connected conversation with our Heavenly Father. Religion be becomes what we do instead of something that, that we surrender ourselves to. And service feels like an obligation rather than a calling that we answer. When we treat Jesus like bobblehead Jesus, something we can control and understand and appease when we want to and mimic when we feel like we can, then we are only experiencing, get this, half of a life. A life that is not full. So whatever you've experienced or whatever we think we know about Jesus, the truth is, for all of us, Jesus is more. And you and I need to make a shift. And that's what we're talking today, church, about. Is that you and I, our families, 
our church community making a shift from more effort to more Jesus. You'll see the difference in the life of your family, in our community, in our city, when we shift from more effort to the more that Jesus offers. We often talk about the Apostle Paul because he wrote like nearly two-thirds of the New Testament of our Bible. But when we talk about Paul, he, he was probably the, he was the first century's greatest theologian and church planter. He visited the, the, the city of Ephesus in, in, the, in the Roman Empire in the middle of the first century. And he visited that city, um, and he wrote a letter to them. And, and he writes this letter to the Christians there. And, and I want to, we want to read from portions of that over these next few weeks. So if you're looking for a way to kind of just connect it with God's word a little bit, we have Bibles for you at the Hub. They're free. We want you to have it. Um, got an, there's an app that you can download, a Bible app that many of us around here love to use. We can talk to you about that at the Hub. Um, we're going to actually work through the book of Ephesians during this time. Um, n- not like super chronological, but, but you'll see that we're going to move um, in e- throughout Ephesians, this letter in the New Testament, throughout the next several weeks. So you might want to plug in and start reading that um, on your own. But we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 3, and hear what Paul says. This is how he starts. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Whatever the Ephesian Christians believed or had heard about God up to this point, Paul is saying, church, there's more. You've only heard a fraction of it. You've only experienced a little bit of it. There's more. And he opens with what the the most important part of that more is, and that it was this, that before the creation of the world, God loved you. I want you to think about that. Take five seconds to think about that. Before God created, before he, he decided what gravity would look like, before he decided what oxygen would do or how your body would function, he knew you and he loved you. Like before you were born, before you could make any mistakes, before sin was a part of your life, before you could ever do anything for God, before you could even believe anything about God, before you could choose not to believe some things about God, before any of that, he knew you and he loved you. In fact, he adopted you as his kid, as his very own. That blows my mind. And it gave him pleasure to do it, Paul said. He wasn't obligated to do it. And he's never one second regretted doing it for you. You bring him great pleasure. Before you ever could do anything for him or believe anything about him. 
He goes on in verse 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. God has now, verse 9, revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. God has this mysterious will. If one of the roadblocks for you and I coming to know Jesus is that we just don't understand it all, great! Because it, Paul talk says it's a mystery. Don't let it be a roadblock. It's supposed to be intriguing. It's supposed to be mysterious. That, that God was doing something through Jesus that is mysterious to us. And Paul says, however... Now, God is like peeling back the layers of this mystery to reveal and give us some clarity about what he's up to. Look at verse 19. I also pray that you will understand, you will understand, so the mystery is lessened and the understanding is is becoming more for us. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Part of this mystery, the thing that's just so intriguing that, I, that we can't even find words to describe, is that Jesus fills everything, Paul says. Like, he, everything is, is because of him. Like, wherever, you can't think of a place to go, all right? You can't think of a conversation to have. You can't think of a person you know, or a space to hide, that Jesus isn't completely in or all around. He is over, he is in charge of, he is in everything. His fullness, the fullness of God, everything that you and I could ever know about God and all that we one day will know, but don't yet. It's in and through everything, every relationship, every space, every decision. It's mind-blowing. It's mysterious. But then Paul gives you and me um, some, some clarity right? so that it's not so mysterious anymore. And that is this, that the church is the expression of Jesus in all of his fullness. Now, come on. The church, like us in this room right now, we are the expressed fullness of Jesus not just an expression of some of his qualities, right? We aren't just the expression of, let's say, Jesus is generous and so the church gives to some people during the holiday season. Jesus is generous and so we come in here and sing a few songs. Like, we don't just express some of the things about Jesus. We are the expression of his fullness. Like, all the mysteries about who Jesus is is to be expressed through the church. It's a core commitment of every local then gathering of believers, every church, to illuminate 
this mystery to shine light on what has been mysterious for ages before us. And that is that Jesus is more. That whatever you have thought or learned or experienced about Jesus, he is so much more than that. The church is made for more. The church is chosen by Jesus to express his fullness in every corner of culture and every sphere of society. That's our job. Ephesus in the mid-first century was an interesting place. And I think as I was reading about it, um, Ephesus was, it was unique in, in, in many ways because it was allowed to operate almost as a city-state within the Roman Empire, which was a little unusual. Rome generally liked to send out its governors and its proconsuls to, to rule all of its provinces and cities. But Ephesus was allowed to operate within the empire, but also somewhat um, independent, which was a, kind of an interesting thing. It was a major port city at the time, one of the key port cities on the Medi- Mediterranean in its time, right? It would be in modern day Turkey, all right, today, right on the coast, all right? 200,000 people called Ephesus home in the mid-first century. And what was fascinating is it was like a melting pot of the ancient world. Um, there, was a, there was a strong Jewish population in Ephesus at the time. Also, and I'm guessing it's because of this kind of this free city-state kind of government, that whenever slaves were freed in the Roman world, Ephesus was the place many of them wanted to go. And so there was a huge freed slave population in the city. Also, I don't know if it's because Ephesus was like on the coast probably, but it was also like the Boca Raton of like the ancient world. Like all retired people went there, all right? So retired generals from the army often settled in Ephesus. So Paul is dealing with a population that couldn't be any more eclectic. You've got retired military, freed slaves, Greeks, Romans, Jews, and then the icon, the, the wonder, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world that Ephesus was its home was the great temple to the goddess Artemis or Diana. And Diana was a busy lady because listen to the things that she was in charge of. Diana or Artemis, was worshipped as the goddess of hunting, fertility, astrology, and magic. So she, she dabbled in a lot, and it had a lot of weight on her shoulders. And there's a picture of, as the temple uh, appeared, what artists believe it, it looked like in the first century. Modern-day Ephesus, there's like three columns of that thing left. But at its time, it was one of the wonders of the ancient world. People flocked there from all over the Greek and Roman world to worship Artemis. And I wonder, okay, this is, this is fun, all right? And I wonder when Paul starts talking about this body of believers, like being the fullness of Jesus, is because he knew he was speaking into a pagan culture who thought religion was about going to a place who believed that the grand sum of their religious experience was found in a location they went to worship, who believed that their connection to the gods was the sum total of their sacrifices or their right beliefs. And Paul says, that's not, that's not how you are. You are the body of Christ. You are the fullness of all things 
God, you represent the only one who has ever been worthy of worship. The fullness of him resides in you. So the church in the first century was called to fill everything to. Every corner of culture, every sphere of society, every relationship, the church was called to express Jesus's fullness there. So White Oak, we need to illuminate the more of Jesus in every place in our community. But there's a couple of things that work against us. There's a couple of obstacles. Here's one. We really just sometimes prefer to illuminate our actions instead. We prefer to illuminate our actions. Why do you think that Christianity or the church or Jesus in 2020 seems so irrelevant and impractical to the, the current generations? It's because they have widely been shown that Christianity is just about doing more stuff. Doing and being better. Believing writer or giving more. It's an institution. It's a set of beliefs and traditional practices. It's not necessarily your fault. Honestly, that's probably how the church has been since the Roman Empire adopted the holy Catholic worldwide church as its state religion. And so for 1,500 years, Catholic, Protestant, doesn't matter your church background, we have kind of unintentionally been led or taught that the expression of the fullness of Christ, like that God living in and through us is expressed in rule following or charity at Christmas time or singing songs and believing some of the right things. It's not our fault, but it is true about us. But let's not let it be an obstacle anymore in 2020. When we treat Jesus as a list of rules or obligations, we actually decide for ourselves, he's not the head of all things. He's not the head of the church. We challenge his leadership because we take it. You look back on 2019 for, for yourself or for your family, who was in charge? Who was the head of your faith experience? Who called the shots? For many of us, it was you. We are the body, the fullness of Jesus. He's in charge. He's the head of everything. And he is much more than you and I have made him out to be. So one obstacle is we love to illuminate actions because it's easy to measure. The other obstacle that keeps us from illuminating Jesus and his fullness into our city is that we're already full. You can experience, I mean, listen, your family or your, in your life, you can't experience the fullness of Jesus, like the fullness of our heavenly father into your life when you're already too full, all right? 
Francis Chan, an author, speaker, church planter, he said it this way one time. He said, many people treat the church like this. Many people treat the church like you go to your favorite restaurant, all right? And you sit down and you get a menu and you read the menu. I mean, you you look at some of the great pictures, you read some of these like mouth-watering descriptions. And then after reading the menu, you close it up, you set it on a table and you leave. He said, that's how many of us, that's how many Christians treat the church. We don't get to taste anything. We don't get like to experience the, the goodness of all the things that God has for us. God's like, man, order the steak. Like, order the chicken. You get the shrimp. Get the mahi-mahi. You'll love it. And, and, and get an appetizer and, and, and just feast on the breadsticks. And then, oh my gosh, you haven't even tried the desserts. Like God's got, God wants to fill us up and enjoy him and enjoy his goodness and, and his majesty and his holiness and, and, and a good father. And many of us just read the menu and we don't even ever taste it because we're too full. We can't talk about more when we've got no room for more, right? You know that. You say, I've already pre-scheduled. Some of us have already pre-scheduled every weekend and every weeknight now till summer, right? We've got a cavalcade of voices and noises just yelling and speaking into our lives. We don't have room to listen to the Holy Spirit. Like we don't have room in our heads or in our lives to listen to the voice of God to direct us because we are so full of other noise. Every dollar is spoken for. Many of us can't afford to be generous. We have our own ideas already in our head of what marriage should look like or what sexuality and how it should, should operate or what raising kids should be like or what experiencing these teenage years, what I should have. And, and we've got all of these ideas of what faith and our relationship with God should look like. We've got it all planned out. There's no room for more. It's like Thanksgiving meal or, 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 it's like a, or your Christmas meal or whatever. There's so many good things on the table. You just stuff yourself stupid. And can, can I ask you a really important, this is, I think this is a theological question. Why on God's green earth do we only make pumpkin pie once a year? You know what I'm saying? I mean, that is really good stuff. And for some stupid, idiotic reason, we make it once a year. Now, I wonder why we sit at the table and we're just like, wah, 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 and because it's so good and we only make it. I'd never have turkey. Ever. But one day. One day. Turkeys are alive all year. But we don't eat them. So, but, so we just like stuff ourselves full of all of this stuff. And, and yet, and, like, uh, and my mom makes some of the best pies. Like there's, there's the, the pumpkin pie and there's the, like this chocolate pie that she'll make. There's the pecan pie. And if that's not enough, there's the pecan with chocolate chips in it. And you, you can't humanly, it's not possible to eat a piece of all of it. It can't be done. But you try. Because you only get it once a year. And so you stuff yourself. And then you just lean back in your chair and you're like, I think I'm going to throw up but there's still so much more good stuff that you want. But we're too full. 
And we miss out on enjoying it because we're so full of it. Church, we're so full of it that we can't experience the fullness of God in our lives. And our souls need more dependence, a hunger for him. We are the church and we are called to fill every sphere of society and every corner of culture. But the first thing that God wants to do for you, for your children, for your grandkids, is he wants you to start empty so that you're ready for more. He wants you to start with a longing, with space. You're not ready for more until you start empty. No one eats a gigantic breakfast on the morning of Thanksgiving because you want to be hungry. And when we are, when we leave room and God starts filling us and our families, I mean the people that live under your roof, when he starts filling you with the more of Jesus, it's going to spill out and overflow into our culture and into our schools, into the places that you work and into our city. So here's a commitment that I, that I want to ask us to talk through here this morning to wrap up our, our time together. Here's a commitment, and, and this is how I believe we illuminate the more of Jesus. This is how we're going to take it on. And this is kind of a commitment that, that I want to make with you as individuals, as part, and then we're going to talk about how we're going to commit as, as, a, as a body, as a community of believers. But here's the commitment that we're going to make. This is how we illuminate the more of Jesus. First and foremost, we start off in a place of enjoying the good news of Jesus for ourselves that you would enjoy your identity in Christ. Say the word identity. Identity. See, because for too long, we have thought our identity is about the things we did for God or the things we believed about God. I'm a Christian means I believe these certain things or I go to this place, but that's not how our Heavenly Father started this thing. Right? Faith wasn't a, a, a place you went or a list of certain ideals right away. It was an identity. It was you and I just resting that Jesus died for me. That you are a son or a daughter of a heavenly father. That you're his kid. Like he chose you. He didn't just inherit you. He picked you out to die for you, to love you, to call you his own. And if we are going to experience the fullness of Jesus and then illuminate that, we just have to learn to rest in the gospel. That our God loves us. Our identity is a son or daughter, not Christian. Here's the second thing, the second part of our commitment. The first part of our commitment is identity. Say identity. Identity, that's part of the commitment that we're going to make for Made for More this season, this year. The second part of this is dependence, to practice radical dependence on the Holy Spirit. Say dependence. Say it like, like more enthusiasm. Dependence. Yes, yeah, because that's what it's going to take for you and I to decide that we depend on the one in charge. That, that, that we decide to go to a deep place of trust. 
uh, that we want to connect, that we will make the room to listen and to fill our hearts and our minds with the things that come from the Holy Spirit. His voice starts to become the loudest one in our life. Can you imagine that? That if God's voice over the course of this next year became the loudest one in your life. Can you imagine how that would change the course of your relationships? Your faith? That we would be a people that just get on our knees and pray and listen in our Holy Spirit led. That his would be the first voice that we seek. Dependence. This is our commitment. This is our commitment. Identity, dependence, and lifestyle. Say lifestyle. And by lifestyle, what we mean is we surrender the faith that maybe up to this point we've been in charge of, and we submit to the one who's always been in charge of it, his church. That we serve like he serves. We give like he gives. We love who and how he loves. And that's our lifestyle. Church, this is how we experience, begin to experience the fullness of Jesus in our lives. It is how it will overflow into your schools, into your places of work, and into our city. But also, we will make a commitment collectively. And here's our collective commitment to each other is that we will equip one another, that we will be a place, that White Oak will be a place that equips you as a follower of Jesus, all right, for the mission of Jesus, that you can illuminate the fullness of Jesus in the places that you work and study and play and live, that, that this is the church's promise to each other is that we will equip one another to illuminate Jesus and all of his fullness into every corner of culture and your daily life. The other promise is not just equip, but that will be a community, a community of grace, all right? That we will be a brotherhood and a sisterhood, right? This is White Oak's commitment. This is our commitment to each other, that we are a place where we will encourage one another. We will direct one another, which means some fun conversations and difficult conversations sometimes with one another, that we will be a place that prays for one another because we want to experience the more of Jesus. We want people to experience the more of Jesus because of us. So we're going to pray the more right in and out of us. We're going to do that for each other. Lastly, we're going to mobilize each other. To equip is to have the right tools, but to mobilize is to get off your butt and go. And we're going to be a place and a church that mobilizes one another helping people to discover their unique calling, their unique God-given abilities, how to use that fullness that Jesus is speaking into your life and how to practically go and fill up the places where you work, where you live, where you play with the fullness of Jesus. The primary job of Jesus's body is to make the mystery of more known. Because you and I aren't the only ones who know that there's more. Everybody we know is longing for it. And church, 
we know who fills it. So here's what we're going to reflect on today. And just going to have a moment just of the band playing and a moment of time just to be where you are. And I just want to pray. I just want to pray this for us. I want to ask this question, where? Where right now do you just feel this little nudge? The place where you need to go and illuminate more. The posture of every person who is part of this church in 2020 will be go and be. Where will you begin to illuminate the mystery of more? Let me pray for us. Father, God, you are a mystery in so many ways. Oh God, but you have revealed it also so beautifully through Jesus that he fills us with the forgiveness and power and meaning and purpose that we need in this life. Father, give us, um, just, just overwhelm us, Father, with the truth and the beauty of that we are yours. We are your kids and we're forgiven. And we've been empowered with this message and this reality of more, Father. So open our eyes to the places where you would have us take it, Father. Empower us to do it collectively as a body, Father, may this city experience the more that is your son, Jesus. This is our prayer, Father. We offer it to you and ask it of you in the name of Jesus. Amen.